Wow, what a great, um, what a great story. Um, I don't know about you, but I could certainly relate to a lot of what Star was sharing about her own personal experience um, in this journey of actually walking with God. Um, the fact that you can look really good on the outside, be scared to death on the inside. And um, perfect story for what we're going to talk about today. And um, we're in our series. We're kind of, we had a, we took a break as we were outdoors uh, last weekend, but we're going to come back and we got two more weeks in this series called Hold Fast. And uh, again, we're looking in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, um, where people were struggling um, to stay connected to God to stay connected in union with him. And so we've been looking at all these different ways that we can actually stay connected. And so um, before I jump in, I, I just want to pray for us because what I'm going to share with you um, today, um, the last two weeks has been super powerful for me. Really changed my whole perspective of my relationship with God, even after 33 years of ministry. So I'm excited to share it with you. So let's pray. Father, Thank you for these words that you have given us so we can understand you. As Star said, we worship you, God, because it has everything to do with you. You came for us. You loved us when we wanted nothing to do with you. And we praise you and we thank you for adopting us into your family and to making us your children. But Father, you know that still, as your children, we struggle to stay in union with you. And I just pray that today's message that your word, which is alive and active, will come and penetrate to the deepest part of all of our souls who are listening so that we can stay in union with you. And I ask for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we talk about holding fast to stuff, um, this spring, my wife did anything but hold fast to things. In fact, I got to be honest with you, I'm super proud of her because sometimes I feel like she does want to hold on to things a little bit too long. But man, this spring, she got on KSL and she was just throwing out stuff left and right. People were coming and purchasing stuff and we were just cleaning house and it was awesome. But when you're getting rid of some things that you don't want to hold on to, you, you know, there's things you do want to hold on to. And, and it's pretty funny, like for one of us, for us, one of the things that we were getting rid of was this couch that we had gotten at a yard sale. And uh, it was just kind of this black little couch that would fold out and it was helpful, but eventually we we're just like, yeah, get rid of that thing. But we had bought another couch right before we moved out here. And it's the strangest thing. It, we've had it for 17 years, ever since we moved here. And the, the, it's tattered. It's torn, literally, the upholstery, is, it's, it's got holes in it, it's bad. But we won't let that thing go. We, in, in fact, we just couldn't. So we found another place for it. it the value of it, we, because it's valuable to us, man, we hold to it. So when we talk about holding fast to a union with God, the question is, why do we struggle with that? And sometimes I think that it's true. Like we, we look at the world around us and there's so many enticing things. And sometimes those things actually look more valuable to God 
We think that they'll actually be more life-giving to our soul, satisfy us, so we go after them. And sometimes we let go of this union with God and we start to wander off. But sometimes it's not the attraction of, of uh, what we see around us. Sometimes if we're honest, when we look at God and when we think about God, we see a God that feels unapproachable. We see a God who, it's hard to say, but feels unappealing to us because we don't know for sure if he's good. We don't know if he's trustworthy. And so we're unsure about this God. And so the next thing you know, we can start to let go of him. So again, in chapter 12, we've looked at all of these things. There's these, these, these admonitions that the author has given. Do these things to guys. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Submit to your Father in heaven and live. Strengthen your walk. Stay together and curb your appetite. We've hit all those things. And then where I'm taking you today is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. He says this. And he starts with the word for... So he goes through all these lists of things we're supposed to do to stay in union with God. But then he says, for, and that little word is the word that says, why? What's the reason that we should do all these things to hold fast to our union with God? And so now let's go through this passage and let's see what the reason is. In chapter 12, verse 18, the author starts off this. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that's burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Now, what's this picture? He says, now you haven't come to this. So hold on, because this isn't what you come to. What he's talking about is Mount Sinai. This is in the Old Testament. This was one of the most incredible moments in all of Israelite history. This is when they met God. But what did Mount Sinai represent? And why don't we come to that mountain if we want to hold fast to God? Well, the first thing it represented was the awe of God's power and the vastness of his holiness. God was so powerful and so holy that when he came down upon that mountain, he consecrated it, which means he separated. He's so holy that he could have nothing to do with anything that's sinful. And so even mankind, if they touched the mountain, had to die. Animals had to die. Any human being or animal doing that. His voice, was, it brought fear. They couldn't bear what he commanded. And it was this separation that happened between God's holiness and sinful people. That's what it represented. And then this is where he gave the Ten Commandments. So now they have this law and mankind has always interpreted this law as saying, okay, then this is what I got to do. And I'm going to live by my effort and I'm going to gain pleasure. This is kind of what Star was doing. If I do these things, then I can get God's favor. But really, 
what God was doing with the Ten Commandments and this law is basically telling us, I'm going to show you that you can't follow me. There is this thing inside of you called sin. And so I'm going to give you this law and you're never going to be able to do it. And then I'm going to put together the sacrificial system where something else is, you, you can actually, something else can actually die. An animal can pay the price that you deserve. So man thought, oh, okay, I got to try to do this by my effort. And God was actually saying, no, the law represented death because you can't. And then a sacrifice in place of your own death. And so, but this, this mountain, as you can see, what it created was pressure and fear. And I love that's what Star said. She said, on the outside, I was looking really good. It sounded like a lot what Jesus was telling the religious leaders in his day. On the outside, you guys look really good. But what did she say? But inside, I was afraid because I never knew if I was doing enough. That's what that mountain represents. And I just want to tell you, man, it's hard to even want to stay in union with a God where you feel like I can never please him. I can never be good enough. And so the author says, hey, listen, you don't come to that mountain. The reason for, the reason you do all these things to hold fast to God is because of this. Now look at this. So he continues in 22. You didn't come to Mount Sinai. He goes, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You guys, this is what he's saying. Hey, if you want to stay in sweet communion and union with God and hold fast to him, you got to know that this is the mountain that you come to. Now, now this is super important because when it says, but you have not come, that verb, you have come, is in the perfect tense. And what that means is it's a condition that already exists with continuing effect. It's something that you've already done, but you continue to do it. So that's why the scripture says you have come or you have not come. But what it also means is when you come, the perfect tense means it's something that's happening right now. And this is what impacted me so powerfully the last two weeks. And what I want to share with you is when you come, I have come to God in the Mount Zion, but I continue to come. And what's it like when you come to him? Well, there's a great contrast Let's look at the great contrast that's in this passage. The first thing he says is there's a physical versus the spiritual. Now, at Mount Sinai, he says, you have come to a mountain that can, be, that, that can be touched. But then he says, but now we come to a heavenly Jerusalem. So there is a heavenly realm, right? And we all know this. 
but we all think that it's something that eventually I'll go to, which you will. But the scriptures teach us, and even Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, so it's heaven is the realm where God exists. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven, what Jesus did, is he caused heaven and earth, the physical world and the spiritual world to come back together. So that's huge. So it's not touchable like the old Mount Sinai, but it's approachable. You couldn't come to the holy God of Mount Sinai, but you come right now and you come to an approachable God in the spiritual realm. So I actually, if you saw the, t- the title for this message was get your head in the clouds. <laughs> We're always saying, get your head out of the clouds. But in scripture, it says, no, get your head in the clouds. Get your head, fix your eyes. Think about this. We'll talk about this later. There is a spiritual reality where God is present and you can come to him at any time. Here's the second contrast, the separation of Mount Sinai with the intimacy of this new heavenly Jerusalem. Mount Zion, it says, you, you, you come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So Mount Sinai in the Old Testament is where the law was given. But Mount Zion, which includes Jerusalem, is where the temple is built. So the law was given here, but the temple was given and the temple was God's presence. So the Israelite people always were like, we want to go, wait, when the festivals came, they always came to Jerusalem because they knew that the presence of God was in the temple. God is with us, they would say. But it's interesting because even though God's presence was in the temple on Mount Zion, still Only the high priest, once a year, could actually go into the Holy of Holies and be in his presence. And he even went in with trembling and fear. He had to do everything right to be in his presence. But then this beautiful thing happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. It's a beautiful thing. The curtain that was between God's presence And his people shed into, just stripped into, torn right into. And all of a sudden, what that meant, through Jesus Christ, the presence of God was now available to everyone. And what he's saying is, you guys don't come to Mount Sinai. You don't come to a God who's unapproachable. Through Jesus Christ, you come to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, the presence of God. And all the book of Hebrews talks about not just the physical temple anymore. In fact, it says, now you are his temple. And we can have intimacy with God, union with God. That's eternal life, you guys, is actually being in union with God, knowing him intimately and personally. And that's the difference. Huge contrast between the separation that Mount Sinai created through the law and never being able to be good enough 
and the intimacy that's come through Jesus Christ and that we can have. Now here's the other two great contrasts. Instead of fear, you can have absolute joy. And instead of pressure, you can have complete freedom. And here's what I want to ask you. First, well, here's, here's two questions. The first one is this. Do you come to God? Do you actually draw near to him? Do you, do you enter into, his, into the very presence of God? And, and you, you can do this when you're praying, when you're reading scripture, when you're in church. I mean, anytime, actually. But do you do it? Do you actually come near to God? Because this is a real relationship. It's not rules that we follow. It's knowing him. But here's the second thing. When you do come near to God, when you think about him and you want to pray or you want to read scripture, or you want to go to church, you go into a life together group, you're anytime, anytime you want to draw near to God and come to him, what's the picture that's in your mind? Have you ever done that? I, I, I think that, um, I don't know if you've ever consciously thought about it, but I think that almost every one of us has a picture of God. And if you don't have an actual picture in your mind, you do have a sense of what God is like when you approach him. You know, for years for me, I would close my eyes and I would go to pray. And this is kind of weird, but all I could really see was God's feet. Because he was on this throne and I couldn't get close to him. He was my Lord. And so I was down always and that was my, my, my God. And I, I think for some of us, you guys, like Star shared, when you actually are honest with yourself about how you feel about God, you have a lot of fear and a lot of pressure. And, I, and I'm just telling you, I don't know who I love to run to that makes me afraid. And I don't know who I love being with that puts a lot of pressure on me. And so I think some of you today might be struggling to hold fast to your union with God because you got a Mount Sinai picture of God. He's still scary to you. You're still afraid to hear his voice. You still think that he's going to punish you for the things that you've done wrong. And I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I don't know. Some of you, you're great. Most of us, including myself, I still struggle. I intellectually know this. I'm going to teach it to you today. But in my heart of hearts, I will still struggle. I think there's a deep spiritual battle that's going on with many people right from the enemy that Jesus told us about who's still lying to us, making us think that God is the God of Mount Sinai when the truth is, he's the God of Mount Zion. So I want to share with you now the absolute joy, the absolute joy and the complete freedom that you should feel in your heart when you think about approaching your God. And these last two weeks, that's what I've done. Every morning when I've sat down to be with God, the first thing I've done is I'll just sit there and I'm going to 
share with you these, these four things that are in the scripture. And I pictured them. And it was crazy. The joy and the freedom that I could feel in my heart in approaching God. I, I, I'm so excited. You know what I want to do right now in the next 15 minutes? I want to change the way that you approach God for the rest of your life. So here we go. When you come to God, you come to absolute joy. So hold fast to it. How do we know that? Because the first thing the scripture says is when you approach God, when you come to him, the angels are rejoicing. You come to angels rejoicing in this spiritual realm, right? The verse said, you come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. And actually the word there is innumerable. Can I, can I just ask you a question? When's the last time you had your quiet time? When's the last time you had your devotions? When's the last time you went to pray or spend time with God? And as you did, you thought, I'm coming into the presence of God and there's thousands upon thousands of angels rejoicing. I just gotta be honest with you. I haven't done that my whole life ever until these last two weeks. It's so cool, you guys. They're the ones... The angels are what? They're the ones who announced Christ's coming in the first place. And they said, we've got good news of great joy. A savior is born to you. And now, present, they witnessed the final work of Christ. And when Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven where they are, they now knew Jesus did it. He's accomplished salvation for the world. And so the angels are rejoicing. That's who you, when you come to God, the spiritual realm is not afraid. They're not scared. They're not wondering if it's going to work out. They're like, it is finished. And they're rejoicing. Now here's the other cool thing about angels. In the very first chapter of the book of Hebrews, in verse 14, it says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So, and I can't, I don't have time to get into angelology here, but here's a very clear statement that every person who is inheriting salvation, who's received Christ, we have angels who are ministering to us and what's great is, and they're rejoicing in the finished work of Christ in our life. They know we're gonna make it because Jesus finished it. So man, I, I just wanna challenge you. This is the one that's been shocking to me because it's the first one. I close my eyes and I go, God, I just wanna come to you right now. And as I come to you, <laughs> this is, there's thousands of thousands of angels rejoicing. You guys, we should be in absolute joy when we come to God because Jesus has finished the work. Now, who else is rejoicing? Number two, the church. The church in heaven. What does it say? When you come, look at this. When you come to God, it says you come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. 
Jesus said this to his disciples in Luke 10, verse 20. He says, because they had just cast out demons, they were all excited about the spiritual power that they, were, that they were experiencing on earth. And Jesus says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, we should have absolute joy, not because of what's going on on earth, even really cool supernatural stuff. He goes, no. You come to me with joy because your names are written in heaven. The whole book of Revelation lets us know that names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, when it says you come to the church, it's like, wait a second. So, so when I come to God, I actually come to the church. Well, who's the church? Well, this is the church. Universal and eternal, right? This is chapter 12 in Hebrews. Chapter 11 in Hebrews, Hebrews listed off all the names of these saints. This is Abraham. Who's the church? It's Abraham and Moses and David. It's Paul and Peter. It's Martin Luther. It's Billy Graham. It's Mother Teresa. It's my mom. Like, and here's, and here's what all of those people know. They're going, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They're written in heaven. And that's where we are. And somehow their scriptures are saying, when you come to God, remember you come to all the people as well who went before you and they're in heaven. They're in the spiritual realm and they are in absolute joy. And the scripture tells us to think about them, fix our eyes on the unseen, These, this cloud of witnesses who remind us and encourage us, it's worth it. Hold fast, because when you come to God, you come to people whose names are written in heaven. But let me just tell you this. This is awesome. This is you. This is you. Who's the church? You're the church. And this is what's crazy. So are your living brothers and sisters. When you received Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, your name has been written in heaven. And so somehow, yes, when I die, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. But somehow, I'm already experiencing, I can already experience heaven. Because I'm part of the church who's received Christ and my name's written in heaven. Let me give you a couple verses. This is crazy. Ephesians 2, 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Those are past tense. See, when you receive Christ and his spirit comes inside of you, you are spiritually in union with him. You got baptized, right? Into Christ, it says. And so everything that's true about Jesus is now true about you. And that's why we need to get our heads in the clouds because somehow, even though we're living in this physical realm, the spiritual realm of heaven, of God's presence, is absolutely accessible to us at any moment, at any time. I already have eternal life. Because eternal life is knowing the one true God. And I know him because he's living inside of me. And he's living inside of me because my name is written 
in heaven. Another one, Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. You already have been. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Get your head in the clouds. How in the world are we going to hold fast to our union with God when so many things in the world are tempting us and luring us away, making us think, this is better, this is better. Or, just the opposite, you're looking at the world and it's all the turmoil that we're experiencing and so we doubt God's goodness and we don't know if he's really with us. The scripture's saying, hey, if you've received Christ, your name is written in heaven. You have been raised with Christ. Set your mind, get your head in the clouds. Believe with all your being that there's absolute joy because you have eternal life. Goes on to say, not on earthly things, for you died, look at this, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Man, that is good stuff. You guys, you know, the scripture always tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. You know how we can do that? Because we remember when I come to God, I come to thousands upon thousands of angels rejoicing because they know Jesus' work is done and they're helping me get there and they know I'm going to get there. And I'm already there. I'm part of the church. I have eternal life. So man, Come to God with absolute joy. And then the second thing is, you come to him with complete freedom. You come to him with complete freedom. Man, I I love Star's statement at the end of her video when she said, this has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him the experience of going over to adopt their daughter and her not wanting them. That's so God's experience with every human, but it didn't stop him. He came to us so that we could be free. You guys, are you free today? Completely free. I love where Paul says, I take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So what is this complete freedom? When you come to God, there should be no pressure. No fear and no pressure. Why? Because you are free. Two things really quick. It says the judge declares you perfect. You come to complete freedom because the judge declares you perfect. (laughs) Now, It's kind of interesting, right? Because the scripture says, you come to God, the judge of all. Now, and that's kind of scary because the same God who did come to Mount Sinai, that God didn't change. That wrath and that dark and that gloom, but they match the day of the cross. There was darkness and there was gloom and there was wrath on the cross. Because God is holy, because God cannot have anything to do with sin. But because God loved you so much, he put his wrath and punished your sin 
on Christ on the cross. Jesus took God's wrath. All that fear, all of the trembling, all of the holiness of the God of Mount Sinai, Jesus absorbed it into himself. And then in place of that, he put his righteousness into you. This is amazing stuff. He received the punishment for your sin and then he gives us his righteousness. Look at this. Hebrews 10, verses 10 and 14 says this. By that will, by the will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Yes, guys, guess what? When you come to God, you come to that judge of sin. But it also says, and you come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And you and I have been, if you've put your faith in Christ, you have been made perfect forever. Can I ask you a question? When you come to God, do you feel like you're not good enough for him? That's a lie. If you've received Christ, you are completely justified, totally forgiven, completely free. You come to the judge, but the judge has administered the penalty and the wrath on Jesus. So we can come to God completely free as spirits who have been made perfect. And here's the last thing. He says, you come to Jesus' blood because it reconciled you to God. He said, you come to Jesus. So every time I decide I want to come to God, I actually come to Jesus. But as the scripture I read earlier said, I'm actually raised with Christ and I'm seated with Christ. The scripture tells us that Christ is in me and I am in him. All of this, you guys, is possible because Christ is in me, because I've received him. I've received his forgiveness. I've received his righteousness. And it is finished. So the angels are rejoicing. The church is rejoicing. I come to God and I rejoice because I'm clean. But I'm not only justified, this blood that Jesus shed for us reconciled us back to God. It's all about relationship. It says you are not only justified, you are reconciled. Colossians 1.22 says this, but now, okay, here it is again. Now, today, when you decide to approach God, now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. That's who you are. You are completely free. And that means this holy God who has all the power you need, all the love you need, all the strength you need, all the wisdom you need, you are in relationship with him. And now I just want to bring back Star's story of adoption. In Galatians chapter four, 
Verse four, it says, when the time set had fully come, God sent his son. He sent Jesus and the angels were rejoicing. Born of a woman, born under the law, born under Mount Sinai and all that pressure to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, into our very being so we can be at union with God. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So listen, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Can I give you one more picture? This week when you come to God, he is a judge, but he's this judge. Look at this picture. This is Mike and Susie Rutledge, who you guys know well. He's on our arts director here, teaches here. This is the day in the courtroom where the judge is. See the guy with the robe? <laughs> this is when Gideon officially became their son. And what's the picture like? Is there fear? Is there pressure? Is there gloom? No, what is there? Absolute joy. Absolute joy. Complete freedom. Gideon didn't do a thing except be loved by Mike and Susie and purchased, adopted, brought into their home. Man, that's the picture I want you to have. So when you come this week, when you come, why in the world would I hold fast to God? Because is there anything more valuable than absolute joy and complete freedom? Is there anything better than knowing your name is written in heaven and that the angels are rejoicing because of what Jesus has done for you? Is there anything better than knowing that the judge, the Mount Sinai God, has put all of the wrath toward your sin into Christ and you're forgiven and you're justified? Is there anything better, anything better than knowing that you've been reconciled to God and adopted as his child? Yeah, you come to a judge, but you come to a judge who's your dad, who did everything necessary to be with you. And I just want to tell you, man, these last two weeks have changed my experience. I come to God almost every day, but I'm going to be honest with you. It's been sweeter the last two weeks because of this truth right here. And I'm going to keep doing it every morning. I'm going to close my eyes come to God and see the angels rejoicing and imagine all of the church rejoicing. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to come to God with no pressure, but absolute freedom. And I'm telling you this, man, when that gets true into the depths of your being, it'll help you hold fast to him. It's the reason that we do everything else because we already have so now, this worship set is so fantastic. Talk about getting your head in the clouds. Talk about imagining, setting your mind on things above in the heavenly realms, picturing the re spiritual reality that's ours. That's what we want to give you a chance to do, to praise God that your names are in heaven and that you're already seated there 
in God's presence. So let's worship him with all of our heart.